Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to Six Feet Under. We've got a pod chat episode for you today. My name is Grant. I'll be doing some hosty stuff. From the regular crew, we have Gnome. Hello! And the return, the very special return of our very first guest ever, James D'Amato. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. I need to visit more often. Yeah, yeah. We're not so far away. That was before I was even part of the group. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, that's true. Uh, So yeah, any long-time listeners or people who have plumbed the depths of the backlog will know that our first bonus feat was a uh, game of Fiasco that used a custom playbook that James made. Yeah, with my own hands. I carved it. (laughs) It was very fun. Uh, but today we're going to talk about uh, something orthogonal to the design process. Uh, we're going to talk about the place of Kickstarter in the RPG scene. Mm-hmm. So let's just lay out our, our qualifications. Uh, James, you are currently running a Kickstarter right now, and you have a previous one under your belt from six, eight. How long ago was that? months back uh only god i mean kickstarter it's a really hard to define how long ago it was like i think the kickstarter itself was almost a year ago but even after the funding period is done you're still doing it so yeah right like it's not even really fully behind me at this point like there's still things (laughs) that that need to be done there's a huge difference when between the being on the consumer end and the creator end for when a kickstarter is (laughs) <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I, I'd say there are five endpoints in every Kickstarter or something like that. Something like that. That sounds about right. And uh, Gnome, you've used Kickstarter your share times as uh, both a yeah. designer of games and a publisher of others' games. Do you have a count off the top of your head? <laughs> I've done three of my own, and I helped Etten uh, with two of his. Wow. Uh, one of those failed. Which was depressing, but the other four succeeded. So that's that's a pretty good track record, eighty yeah, percent. Yeah. And that's like good. That's good information to have. I think. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We learned a few things from that one. Um, that that was a visual novel, the one that didn't yes. meet its goal. Correct. Uh, yeah. It turns out, uh, video games are more expensive and therefore harder <laughs> to fund. Uh, lesson number <laughs> one for you: that's a freebie. Ooh. I am just a frequent browser and backer but that's why i'm hosting and and asking the questions (laughs) well i mean i i don't think that that is like like not valuable experience i i think actually everybody's Mm -hmm. sort of bringing something to the table with kickstarter these days and the consumer end uh, and that perspective is very important especially when there are two voices in the room who have run a bunch of kickstarters because you start getting blinders um i think when you get too deep in it if it weren't for the consumer side, I wouldn't have made money. <laughs> it's an important component. I also component. would not have my apartment without these Kickstarters funding, so it's kind of important to me that, that you know, we have that half also. You're welcome. I appreciate it. So uh, let, let's speak a bit more in detail. I did mention, James, you have a Kickstarter live right now. Why don't you tell us what the, the project is and uh, all about it? Yeah, so I am kickstarting a pretty, what I think is a pretty unusual project, and that is the Dungeon Dome. Uh, If you're familiar with me, uh, you know that I run role-playing games for my podcast, One Shot, uh, very similar to Six Feet Under, where we tour different systems and, and show off what they can do. Um, And that has sort of built up into the point where I am now able to stream games uh, through Twitch uh, using a studio that I have here in Chicago. And we started doing this thing where we would have D&D tournaments, uh, player versus player, um, that take place in this like sort of fictional wrestling style world where gladiators go up against one another. And uh, it kept getting more elaborate uh, to the Mm -hmm. point where I want to do this thing as its own actual play. I want to produce a season of the Dungeon Dome, uh, putting complex challenges in front of uh, my various uh, performers and competitors. Um, But in order to do that, I need to have the time to do it because I am doing a ton of stuff over at One Shot. (laughs) Uh, So uh, this Kickstarter 
primarily is to raise funds so that I can pay myself enough to leave my day job. And I also want to pay the performers. I want to pay the production mm-hmm. crew. And I want to hire artists and other uh, creative contributors to help make this project as cool as it can be. Like, uh, if you see... Uh, if you've seen any of our Dungeon Dome streams, you know that we have like an actual physical dome where the miniatures fight each other, and I want that to look as spectacular as possible. So <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a Kickstarter to fund this weird actual play project, um, and it's a much different animal than the game project that I brought to Kickstarter before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> sounds very different. I mean, yeah, what one is a physical product. Also, there was a print and play, but it most of the work, I suppose, was yeah. Most of the work, most of that money <laughs> went yeah. towards yeah. Uh, shipping and and printing and all that. Yeah. While this is a yeah, it's it's a show. It's an ephemeral project. No one's going to have a dungeon dome on their shelf. Exactly. I guess aside from you. you yeah. <laughs> Everyone will get to look at your really cool dungeon dome. That's what this is funding. <laughs> exactly. Well, and in one sense, it's easier because I am dealing with fewer expenses um and the mm-hmm. the money that i need mostly gets channeled towards people uh which is more flexible like i i can be more flexible with my funding goals um but on the other hand it does mean at least for me uh coming uh to it from somebody who has been a consumer of kickstarters a lot of kickstarters uh it's harder to sell um, because yeah. I want the project to be open to people. Uh, like I want people to be able yeah. to discover the G- Dungeon Dome through uh, broadcasts. I want to be able to stream it because it, it should be a live experience. It's an interactive uh, game that the audience actually takes part in as well. Um, so to do that, I can't bring any of the exclusivity that is like one of the primary levers that you're using as somebody uh, when you're running a Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. uh, I sort of have to uh, stretch and spindle my idea of what a Kickstarter is uh, to make this thing work. And, you know, right now, uh, I think uh, we, we can say that uh, we're recording this before the Kickstarter actually goes up. Um, so most of what I'm operating off of is theory and like what I have learned from studying other people's projects. Uh, so yeah, what, what sort of projects are you looking at? Are you looking at, uh, things that people have done to say fund podcasts or, or that's the most similar sort of category that comes to mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking a look at podcasts. Uh, the Dungeons and Randomness people a couple years ago uh, ran a very successful Kickstarter that actually propelled them into being able to do their work full time. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm also taking a look at fan film projects. Uh, I'm oh, taking yeah. a look at, uh, I mean, Bee and Puppycat. Uh, that was a project that I actually backed. So I have a bigger scope on exactly what goes into it don't look too close you're gonna there goes your whole day and uh (laughs) well yeah addicting is what i'm saying i mean it's work though it counts yeah yeah exactly like you have to work and and study things like that you have to understand what else is out there and i i come to this like from the game space which has a much more concrete uh vision of what a successful project looks like because like you said people would end up with a physical thing that sits on their shelf uh that is what most game kickstarters end up being um Mm -hmm. and that is i think unfortunately what i have trained my audience to expect most people who you know if you noisy person cards and it was the first kickstarter that you backed you know you got a game and you understand how that process looked um if you listen to one shot uh, i'm mostly promoting kickstarters for games which are all physical objects uh so i think most of my audience has one expectation of kickstarter and there's this whole other side of it that I don't really right. understand, and I'm worried uh, that they don't understand. Uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm sort of like right now in this phase, like strategizing and figuring out how do I package this, how do I get people to support this idea that I know they're going to like, um, but and 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 
break that down into levels and financial commitment. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's an inter- it's an interesting project that I have taken on for myself. Well, we're we're really excited to uh, see how that goes once uh, our our time travel straightens out and this goes up mm-hmm. along with the project. Uh, so why don't we talk a bit more broadly? take a, a step back from the, the specific Dungeon Dome project and look at Kickstarter as a whole. Why use it? You, you've both gone to it uh, multiple times. What's the point? <laughs> what, <laughs> like, why, why not just do the thing with the budget you could get in a different way? Well, part of it is because there isn't a different way when you're a small-time <laughs> person like me. Or mm-hmm. I was gonna. I, I don't want to say like James. James is a bit more big time. <laughs> I kind of feel pretty small time. Like again, yeah, I was, we're in tabletop. I, we're all small time here. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, th- these are all very relative yeah. terms. Yeah, it's, it's a small time hobby for small time people. Yeah, it, it, it's not. There are not a lot of dollars in here, but there's yeah. love and passion. That's why we do it. There's no one looking to invest in making a better Dungeon World, so I have to go to a Kickstarter and say, hey, I would li- I like Dungeon World, but there's a couple things I don't like, so here's Fellowship. And then, <laughs> and then people gave me money for it, and then I could actually like pay rent for the 10 months I needed to write and finish that game and get it Oh out my goodness, you were Fellowship? I backed Fellowship. I've got yeah. it sitting on my shelf. Well, how lovely. That was me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you'd like to see how lovely Fellowship is in play, check out sixfeetsunder.com. Where, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's one of our two we- main campaigns right now, and I am super proud of how it's going. It's I haven't been this good of a DM in, like, ever. I'm, I'm just going to say that. I feel really <laughs> good about how the campaign's going. But you, you bring up an interesting point, uh, Noam, because you have brought games to press mm-hmm. without kickstarter uh laws out stands out as an example laws out also has lifetime sales of under 150 so there's a big difference (laughs) the number two reason to do kickstarter it's a lot of publicity people pay attention to kickstarter it's it's the best marketing tool Mm -hmm. yeah that's part of it too because like not only do you get the money up front but people also get their eyes on it they get to look at it and see what you're talking about like one day I intend to like redo Laws Out and like make like a second edition or something and Kickstarter is definitely where that will be because then maybe it'll get more than 200 sales. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it deserves all the sales in the world. Love that game. Yeah, uh, I enjoy it a lot. But yeah, that that also goes to something James was talking about earlier about, you know, he's bringing an audience with expectations and the, the Kickstarter backers become their own community, basically. Yeah. They, they become their own secret club. And they are paying you to then go and do work for you to promote the thing to find other people to pay you. It's it's a little backwards. Uh, but hey, it, it works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. like when you think of it, if you're going into a Kickstarter project, you have to measure the cost of Kickstarter's 10% and mm-hmm. uh, the like credit card processing, which I think works out to be 2%, but I'm I'm always budgeting Something 15%. Like yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I was budgeting 15. That's that's mm-hmm. one of my secrets. Always budget at least 15%. It is a service, after all. Tip your service. You're weighing the cost of that, uh, that that extra percentage added to uh, your Kickstarter, like from Kickstarter, uh, against the market value that Kickstarter brings. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think Noam put it really excellent. You know, it is money that you're getting beforehand. uh, Yeah. Which already uh like any accountant can tell you is like a miracle like if you don't want to fund a project based on proceeds from that project it it gets really really messy and there's a lot of investment and that investment has to be personal it's going to be coming from you a family member or a bank uh that those are really your options when you are starting a business venture kickstarter Mm -hmm. allowing people to fund a project before it exists uh is one of the most miraculous things to happen to this hobby, period. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it also comes with this amazing marketing environment. Already, you are uh, putting urgency 
on your product just by being on Kickstarter because you, as a consumer, look at it and go, if I want to get this game, I've got a month to do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, these days, Kickstarter has like pre-orders and all sorts of other things, and that's less true. But I really don't think that has changed the consumer urgency like aspect of it. Yeah. Um, it puts a fire under people. There's a big ticking clock right at the top. And and though that won't be your last chance to get it, yeah, probably. Yeah, there's always that uh, chance. It's still I in mean, the that brain. If it does fund, your next chance is like a year from now. Mm-hmm. At, at least. <laughs> at least. Some of them take longer. That's what happened with noisy so. person cards. I mean, there are a lot of people who slept on that, and now they can't get that version of the game. Um, mm-hmm. It all worked out for the best uh, for me. But uh, there are a lot of people who, who missed out on that. So there's there's the sense of urgency. There is a sense of celebration uh, that helps people do your marketing for you. Uh, people share Kickstarter projects with each other. Um, when is the last time uh, outside of Kickstarter that you can remember openly stumping for something that you bought? Um, I will bet it is more infrequent than the times where you have suggested Kickstarters to people. Um, that That is just part of the culture around it. That is something yeah. that the Kickstarter and crowdfunding brand uh, brings to your product that is really invaluable. It's great. Uh, I like to think of Kickstarter as the first game that your your campaign funds. Yes. The campaign <laughs> itself is the first game. <laughs> And this is something that some campaigns, as you go through, uh, really take advantage of to a larger or lesser degree. Things like social goals or engagement goals, like Mm -hmm. uh, Noisy Person Cards had plenty of that, you know, encouraging people to record themselves doing lines in voices. Uh, I'm reminded of Masks, which is a superhero role-playing game that... uh, had special unlocks based on things like people taking pictures of themselves dressing up as their uh, own PCs. It, like, such a good idea. That That is a Mark Diaz Truman idea. Um, mm-hmm. I should point out that Masks and their publisher, Magpie Games, one of the people involved in that company is Mark Diaz Truman, and he is responsible for some of the most impressive games, Kickstarters, uh, that have ever been. Um like and I think that includes Seventh C. Uh, so uh, like Seventh C Second Edition is the highest grossing uh, RPG Kickstarter, depending on how you define it. Like uh, there are a lot of minis things that have grossed more, but yeah. for an actual game, I'm pretty sure Seventh C is is the biggest total. And there are a lot of things that made Seventh C a success, but uh, the mind of Mark mm-hmm. Diaz Truman is certainly one of them. And I would invite <laughs> everybody who is planning a Kickstarter to go look at his projects. Um, you know, we stole and wholesale I, from him when we made the NPC <laughs> Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, that that was a very gamified campaign for sure. Well, I mean, especially in our industry, uh, if you're marketing to gamers, if you make it a game, they will play it. Uh, I'm reminded of even very simple uh, uh, campaigns, at least ones that I was very invested in. Just like checking the the kick track predictions and seeing what I could do yeah. to try to, to wiggle that line. <laughs> Entertaining myself, I suppose. Uh, no, I mean, well, I mean... Uh, oh, I was smiling. <laughs> yeah, from, yeah exactly. <laughs> Fondly. <laughs> Although it's for me, like when I check my own kick track, like that, it, that can also be a dark, dark spiral. Um, I'm sure. Part of it too is like, kick track is a useful feature, but it's also like sometimes a demoralizing feature due to the trend, due to the nature of how Kickstarters fund. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're going to be che- checking kick track the most in the middle weeks, but that's also when your project is the most dead. Yep. So it's yeah, always yeah. more depressing when you look at it each day until you start getting to the last <laughs> week and it starts ticking back up. Yeah, if, if like, you're somebody who feels bad about your kick track trends, um, I invite you to go look at any project done by the Nerdalogs. They did Competition Kitchen and Fisticuffs, uh, both very successful games. Um, but they got like almost 50% of their funding in the last two days of the project. Um, yeah. Just look at any kick track early. Yeah. Look at any yeah. kick tracker, but them especially because they were not above or even close to the funding line uh, before. And it'll make you perk up a bit and feel better. Mm-hmm. The first three days and the last three days of the Kickstarter are like 80 to 90% of it. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, uh, that, no, it does yeah. not work to have a six-day project. <laughs> no, it does People not. have tried that, that. That will not help you. That downtime lets people, I guess, like find it. That's the main thing. Like, I found Noisy Person cards two days after it funded and got very sad. Um, I, I was in it. the Kickstarter video for that. Dude. I thought I we were friends. I know you were, but that doesn't mean that I, I... I don't know. I thought I had more time or something, or I just didn't see it. I wasn't following James on Twitter yet, so that was probably part of it. But yeah, that that brings us back uh, to the, the idea of Kickstarter being its own advertising campaign, specifically how it can be an advertising uh, engine for third parties. Things like this... Uh, a bit of a publicity tour that we're happy to be part of. Hello, listeners. <laughs> getting a little meta here. But uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are checking the uh, Dungeon Dome Kickstarter page or James's social media, the, the one-shot feed, etc. However, you found us that you haven't listened to us before, and I'm really grateful for that. But uh, there, there are bound to be people who are... Uh, coming and, and discovering Dungeon Dome, One Shot, etc. The other way around. Uh, it's a mutually beneficial thing. Uh, we've done so many of our episodes, and I know you, James, mentioned the same, uh, in concert with active Kickstarters. Uh, let's see, our, our first was Breakfast Cult, way back when, and our most recent is uh, Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor's The Spire. Which yes! may or may not be up right now because we're trying to launch it day and date with their campaign to, to get the most and we don't know that. when that is yet <laughs> and we don't know when that is yet yeah <laughs> something i've learned from both kickstarters and our podcasting so experience is like there's always more people finding it there's always yeah, somebody yeah. finding it a couple days late or a, even a few months or years later like I've gotten I've, every single Kickstarter I've run of it, someone messaged me within the week after it ends saying, "Hey, can I late back somehow?" Yeah. Like every time, it has never not been true. I'm so happy that Kickstarter added those those pre-order tools because boy, oh boy, mm-hmm. is that a huge help. And yeah. people using BackerKit uh, for the same sort of functionality. BackerKit's a good tool. It is. I need to use it probably for whatever I do next. <laughs> Laws out second ed with a lot of playbooks for more genres than westerns. Come on, come on, come on. That's something I actually have been working on for like two years and keep putting back, like picking up and putting down and picking up and putting down. And I should really like sit down and finish it because it's probably like 75% there. But that last little bit's always the hardest. I'll help you write them. Okay. Uh. (laughs) I'll bug you for like an Archie's one. Yes, yes. So talk about Kickstarter. Why wouldn't you use kickstarter is there any reason not to i am hard it's a huge hassle (laughs) i mean yeah but it pays for itself like i I think the only Mm -hmm. reason not to use kickstarter is if you are already a successful publishing company and you have the money to do it and like you put yourself on the line there's there's just so many barriers that have to be torn down for you already and you're still again sinking capital investment into something that if a company pays to do a kickstarter you know if you want to do a really nice kickstarter it's anywhere from two thousand dollars like if you're a company uh up uh that you're sinking into it and if you want to make a new book you're sinking in like mm-hmm. thirty forty thousand dollars so the, I mean, the math is there. Uh, it is a loan uh, that has no interest with your reputation as collateral. Um, if mm-hmm. the reputation Which thing... Which might be one reason not to do it. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Uh, yeah, like if that bugs you or you already have a bad reputation, yeah, then yeah, like that's why you wouldn't yeah. use Kickstarter. There's there's two reasons I can think of not to do it, but the, the number one bigger one by far is definitely like if you have the money not to, don't don't put yourself out there. There's only been one There's one failed game That one shot has featured Only one game that like didn't take off uh, That like paid to Advertise themselves on our network And it was Triniton Um, And Triniton is like a nice Little game it is a cool sci-fi Game um, 
that crashed really hard. And for that episode, we had for our guests, the System Mastery guys and John Rogers, who is the showrunner for shows like The Librarians and Leverage and created the Jackie Chan Adventures cartoon. So we he also wrote the core. Yeah. And he wrote a bunch of stories about the writing of the core, which you need to check out. Yes. And he (laughs) wrote the Transformers movie. Uh, So like (laughs) we had a star studded episode for that. And it was on one shot, which not to toot my own horn is a really good platform for games to launch Mm -hmm. themselves. But uh, Trinitron sort of fizzled and, uh, you know, the the creator privately came to me later and said, yeah, the game didn't work out. It failed. And I kind of think it's because there was no Kickstarter for it. There could be other things involved. Yeah. yeah. But I've seen games that are not good get funded on Kickstarter. And uh, looking at Trinitron, it was not in that caliber of game. Um, it, it, it that, that 30 day feedback loop of hype can be a very powerful thing yes yeah there's a thing about like a game needs exposure to get anywhere to get any ground to get any traction and kickstarter's good exposure uh, the number two reason I would say not to use kickstarter though um, is that you are now beholden to like 3000 people looking at everything you do yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, there, again, these there, are things that, like, not necessarily a problem, but there's something to consider. There there will be delays, and if you're yeah, uh, self-funding or if you're from a, a mid-to-large-size game company, then you can just have delays and people will be, oh, well, but if I've already given you 40 bucks and it's eight months late, that oh well is is not going to be quite a, a neutral uh, uh, statement. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I always tell people um, to give yourself more time uh, to fulfill a mm-hmm. Kickstarter mm-hmm. than you think you need. Um, Avery Alder, uh, who has designed some truly wonderful games um, and run a recently a very very successful Kickstarter, says double it literally double the amount of yeah. time that you think you need and i think that is really solid advice i keep adding like more time to my estimates every campaign and it has never once been correct i've always been at least a couple months late yep so yep it's, it's so, double it that's a good that's a good amount to go with double mm-hmm. it is a great place to start um because if What's you deliver early you early? look like a friggin' hero that's yeah. that's <laughs> like the penalty of doubling the time you need nobody like maybe uh maybe less than 1% of your kickstarter backers will look at the fulfillment date and go that fulfillment date is too far out nobody notices the fulfillment date until it's coming up or you're past due so yeah, you can only benefit from doubling that time or more i mean yeah as long as it isn't, say, a project launched six years ago and isn't out, it won't be the worst RPG on Kickstarter. Yeah. Far West. <laughs> yeah, there are a few Kickstarters like that. But um, I, I still believe in a lot of them. Because uh, <laughs> I know how hard it is. It is well, very hard. I can agree. Here's something that uh, didn't get brought up that I'm a little surprised. What if the reason you're not doing Kickstarter is because you think Patreon might be a better fit? Okay, this is a really interesting point. I would say, and I know a lot of people will not believe me when I say this, why not do both? Um <laughs> As you are, uh, Patreon supports the OneShot Network as a whole. Yep. Uh, and this Kickstarter is supporting a specific product that is a bit more time and effort intense and a, a sort of a special event. Exactly. Um, but still very much related to the OneShot Network. And uh, mm-hmm. for, I, I, like people in the future now know uh, what I have decided, but right now I am grappling with how the Dungeon Dome is going to interact with uh, the Patreon, because as mm-hmm. I've already pointed out, like exclusivity, uh, which is the major lever of uh, 
of Kickstarter doesn't really work for this. Right, because it drives them both, really. Yeah, I have to somehow deliver things to Patreon backers as well. Um, So it is like an interesting bit of arithmetic that you're doing, of social arithmetic. um, But you can see how it, it was working out, at least for me, who I think I'm pretty good at Patreon and I'm okay <laughs> at Kickstarter. Uh, like you can see how it's working for me right now. Like just go over to the Dungeon Dome Kickstarter and and see where we're at. Uh, and if we are doing okay, uh, then you know that you shouldn't be afraid of it. But I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. tie yourself to one type of funding. Um, uh, Salt and Wounds is a great example. Um, if you know it, uh, Salt and Wounds was a role-playing setting uh, that started through a Reddit post um, that suggested, like, what if uh, the Tarask was, like, taken down by the civilization and they've just sort of, like, uh, been living off of its constantly regenerating body? Uh, like, a really grotesque, weird, cool setting. Um, and the first mm-hmm. thing that he did to try and make this project a reality was create a Patreon. Um and he slowly got an audience and uh, people who believed in the project to the point where he had enough material that he then took to Kickstarter and put a Kickstarter down so he could create a world book. And it was a very successful Kickstarter. Um, so you can definitely do both. And Salt and Wounds, I think, is a great example of both being successful on a very small scale because uh, mm-hmm. the person who designed that did not have a lot to go on uh, when he started. Um, and he just sort of turned that nothing slowly into a great, successful Kickstarter. Uh, another example that came up earlier in our conversation, Grant Howitt has a uh, monthly micro game released to Patreon backers. But every once in a while, a, a larger project often maybe all the time with chris taylor including mm-hmm. uh the spire which is on kickstarter now or shortly uh last year's unbound and like i i am inches away from bullying grant into releasing mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. compendium of his micro games because yeah, yeah, yeah man oh man i already paid for them but would i pay for them again you better believe it um <laughs> <laughs> that kind of customer loyalty gets you far yeah i mean I can try to release a companion of his micro games, but I'm not sure the legality of that. <laughs> Let me just release Skyrim for tabletop. Ooh, <laughs> what a good idea. Uh, I was going to say, the other thing about Patreon versus Kickstarter is that I feel like a lot of people using Kickstarter just want to make, like, one thing and don't necessarily, like... There's, there's this idea with Patreon that may or may not be true, but is, is very commonly held that, like, you have to be able to make something regularly to be on Patreon. Like, you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta put out weekly or monthly things to successfully have one that I'm not sure is entirely true, but is definitely part of why, like, I haven't made one, because I wouldn't know what to put out there, like, on a monthly basis. It feels like a lot. Yeah. Like, I, I write... I write these big books maybe like twice a year, maybe some smaller things every now and then, but actually twice a year is probably a bit much, so it's even slower than that. Um, <laughs> it's it's a lot. Like, Patreon can be kind of intimidating because of that expectation of regular updates mm-hmm. and material. But a uh, friend of the show, Aaron Clooney, has a uh, Patreon for releasing smaller games that is much less than monthly. It's been some time since... oh. I forget the title of the last game, but the one before was Full Metal President, and that is worth the wait. That's a great <laughs> game. Uh, <laughs> I heard about that one. So I, I suppose you'd have to ask him uh, for how he feels on that situation, but he, he keeps plugging away at it, so there's that. You, you can sort of center your Patreon ideas around uh, delivery. Like I, I think it's a good idea for you to... Uh, create an atmosphere where you are delivering something to an audience. Um, But I I don't think Patreon should be viewed as a service where somebody pays you and you deliver something new to them. I I, I think that's almost a wrongheaded way to approach it. Patreon is a method of uh, monetizing an audience that you have. 
Yeah. Patreon is mm-hmm. like a sustained thing. Well, Kickstarter is like the big burst. The funding push is the Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I, like, I, I don't want to dissuade I mean, that's anybody how from doing either structured, of financially structured, yeah. but you, you can use them both in other ways. Uh, a great tool about Kickstarter that uh, I don't think we've directly addressed is that that big pile of engaged people who went out and proselytized for your game, you now have a mailing list of them forever. <laughs> uh, yes, that is true. That is very true. So Grant, you were bringing up a question before I talked about Patreon. Somewhere. I was. Uh, another sort of uh, service that before Kickstarter was big, everyone was talking about revolutionized uh, the tabletop scene was drive through RPG, and I thought it might be interesting to talk about how they sort of slot into each other and have become uh, very friendly, really hand in hand resources. Yeah, for, it's, for people it's to still find revolutionizing it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have uh, came first, dang it. <laughs> DTRPG being able to handle partial, partially handle fulfillment for Kickstarters has mm-hmm. been like such a cost saver on my end it takes like a huge chunk of the like overhead out of my hands and into someone else's hands because like hey uh you pay for the print and uh shipping costs later and just just give me this up front and it's way easier um right that that like at cost option i think is really in reaction to kickstarter It, it certainly post dates it yeah. Um, the difference between having to ship out Inverse World where I had to order like 400 books to myself and then handwrite, put them all into envelopes and handwrite who they go to versus, hey, here's a coupon for drive through RPG. I'll email it to all of you when it's ready to go is is unreal. Like, Yeah. And it's also like taken the idea of a second run and taken it from an intimidating gamble uh, down to, well, worst comes to worst. And I didn't budget properly uh, for my first Kickstarter. Uh, my second run, I just need to have digital files that I can upload to drive through RPG. And hey, my problem is solved. Yeah. Prints on demand is also a miracle. Um, <laughs> it's so good not having to like order 1000 copies from someplace and then worry about what to do with the other like 400 or whatever. I that's not a concern. It's just if someone wants a copy of Fellowship, you go on drive through RPG, you can you can find it and you you pay the price and for you pay the $50 plus the shipping, you'll get a nice hardcover book mailed to you. It was printed like 2 days after you ordered it. Yep. Noam, it's so funny to be on this call with you because Fellowship is one of the projects that I point people to when I am talking about like the ways that you can accomplish a Kickstarter um, because Fellowship was my first experience buying a book uh, and having it be fulfilled by drive through uh, where I paid for the book on the project page and then paid a print cost uh when i was you know wrapping up my my purchase with it uh and getting it fulfilled um and it like it didn't wrinkle my nose at all like a lot of people are afraid of that uh when i tell them about this option but it's like a really really good tool that i would like to see more people take advantage of i i've been using it for my other two kickstarters since then for breakfast cult and panic at the dojo and it's been good it's been useful um, I I can't recommend it highly enough. If you're doing a like a book Kickstarter, you can hit up. Drive here's the RPG. guy. They'll cover people it. <laughs> that I have directed to this podcast. Here's the guy. He's happy with it. Yeah, I'm super happy with how it all worked <laughs> out. It made it. everything easier. Now, if only had uh, somebody responsible for the Bee and Puppy Cat Kickstarter on this call, <laughs> you could just melt down and, and have all of your heroes. <laughs> and if I had Natasha Allegri to talk to, that'd be super cool. She rules. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That'd be cool. Yeah. Maybe we should get her on Six Feet Under. Hit her up on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Far more likely on one shot. To be that, that's true. That's very true. Oh, the other thing, the other advantage to this coupon system that I don't think anyone probably realized in advance, uh, like when you do a Kickstarter, some people like just miss the survey somehow. I've had people who respond to it. Like, I had someone who replied to their fellowship survey last week. So this is like a year and a half since the Kickstarter ended. And I just emailed them everything and they had it all. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Man, oh man. 
for me, uh, I have had people like fans of mine that I've gone to visit with at meetups, like mentioned like, oh yeah, I forgot to fill out the noisy person cards survey. So I guess I won't get it. And I'm like, what? You're crazy. I have, I have your games. They're in my <laughs> home. I need to get them to you. Please, yeah, please fill please it out. Like I, I was holding onto a copy of fellowship, like one of the signed copies. Cause all but one person replied to those. So I was just holding onto this copy for like six months before they replied to the survey. Yeah. Like we ordered the stuff, like the Kickstarter creators, we order your stuff. We still have it. Even if you didn't give us a ma- an address, please give us that address. Yeah. Cause we, we want you to get those games. Don't be sheepish about it. Um, the, the other service that I would like to talk about, uh, since we're talking about mm-hmm. services that go hand in hand with Kickstarters, um, are, are two people, uh, or two companies that I, I really like. The first one is black box. Um, if you don't know about black box, it is attached to cards against humanity. It is their new shipping and fulfillment company that specializes in Kickstarters. Um, and essentially and like, they always survive plane crashes. It's a guarantee. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is, you want that plane crash guarantee yeah. on your game. Believe me. Um, <laughs> but Black Box is a very simple fulfillment service. Um, they don't charge anything up front. It is you give them your Kickstarter information, uh, like the, the backer lists after they've filled out the survey, and you give them the games, and then they send off the games. And like you, you pay your money once they send right before they send off the games. But uh, like the organization process and everything else, like is not something that you have to invest money in. It's not mm-hmm. a fulfillment thing where you will have sunk cost into it and your Kickstarter doesn't fund, and all of a sudden it's a huge tragedy because you've also like paid a shipping company. But they box everything for you. They have a customer service department that if something gets damaged during shipping you are not the person answering to that they are um hey and the most miraculous and beautiful thing that they uh provide a service that i am sad that i never got a chance to take advantage of is they can run a web store um so you can have attached to your website a portal to their web store where people will be able to buy your game and they will buy your game and ship it off and you won't uh, see any part of that process apart from counting your money. Uh, so it is like truly, truly wonderful. It, being a game designer, uh, I, I'm almost going to say used to mean that you had to wear so many different hats, but mm-hmm. we're approaching a point where services like Black Box uh, make it so that you don't have to interact with the fulfillment process. There are professionals, people who uh, know how to do this, who have better shipping rates than you can get <laughs> as an individual actor. Um, they they will handle it for you and they will handle it with a level of professionalism that you, a game designer, uh, and somebody who's never done something like this before, just don't have access to. Um the other company that I want to talk about is run by my good friend, Jim McClure, uh, and that is Third Act Publishing. And they are sort of combining that fulfillment service that I described with Black Box uh, with also helping you run your Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes a flat percentage of the Kickstarter and will... So you, you'd be on top of whatever Kickstarter's like 10% in a pint of blood. Uh, you will have uh, Jim's you know, a percentage. I think it's different for various projects, but he'll take a percentage and also like a bone or a firstborn child. Mm -hmm. But in return, uh, the super stressful process of running a Kickstarter and managing it will fall into completely different hands that are also very experienced and familiar with the process. Um, He helped Colin Kyle with the Axon Punk Kickstarter. Um, so if you and and he also did uh, reflections and he did satanic panic. So if you want to take a look at his work and third act publishing's work, uh, take a look there. It is not something that I have done yet, so I don't know how fully I can vouch for it. Uh, but my next uh, physical game project, I am very much uh, thinking of using third act. So look them up. Mm-hmm. I mean that that is a really useful service. Uh, a, a common refrain that we haven't repeated here yet 
is that running a Kickstarter is its own full-time job. Like, you will not do any yes, design work during those 30 days. No. But, hey, may- I, maybe with something like Third Act, you could. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit during the middle days, but during those middle days, usually scrounging to try and get more eyes on it again because it slowed down because you were looking at that kick track too long. Right, right. Past Jacob. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> We've, uh talked about some practical advice here and there so let's just clear all of it right out uh in in this bit so uh here's a question how done should your project be before you show it with the world boy at least 50 percent. like that's a low ball too yeah i have only kickstarted projects that I have finished to the point where I can't do anything more yeah. without Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh. And I think that's really the, the best guideline as a consumer because you're always looking for the most finished yeah. looking pro- product. You're all because it's a sign that it won't flake. You know, it, it's not going to disappear in six months with your 20 bucks or whatever. Yeah, having like a playable version of the game like helps so many Kickstarters pass the sniff test. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Pass the sniff I test agree. and also get that uh, uh, buzz going because there will be something concrete for, for your uh, apostles to go and show people. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, what, what I would say is you want everything done really maybe except for the layout and purchasing part of the art uh, i want to talk about art before we wrap up our conversation oh, sure yeah um, you need purchasing part of the art a little you bit. gotta it is the most important yeah. part of your kickstarter it is the most important part of your kickstarter by far uh, get art and get good art and be mean to yourself about it <laughs> is that why the only piece of art in laws out is the cover you drew yourself I mean, part of it is because it's like a 25-page book I hammered out over a weekend. Okay. Uh, like, that was a fit of inspiration is what that book was. But, like, I think part of why Panic of the Dojo didn't do as well as, say, Fellowship before it is because it didn't have as good art. Uh, I also, like, I pretty much put that out as soon as I had a playable version of the game. The final game is going to look a lot different from the playable version. Like, the core is all the same, but... I have done a lot of rewriting since then, and it, mm-hmm. like that was towards that was closer to the fifty percent mark than I'd like. Like Fellowship was like 85 percent, maybe even ninety percent done when I wrote when, I, when the Kickstarter went, and I think it did way better for it. Mm-hmm. Like when you have a clear idea of pretty much everything, it just it's easy to tell from the consumer end too. Yeah, absolutely, it's it's something that uh, can see, and also. Otherwise, you have to be so generous with yourself on the delivery dates that mm-hmm. it, it's so unpredictable because, you know, the motivation to write can be hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, and that's something that yeah. you can't really account for. And when you are multiplying whatever stands in your way normally as a designer with the stress of having to fulfill a Kickstarter, you cannot guarantee yourself because you are not at 100%. Yeah. Especially if you also have, like, a day job going on or a podcast like some people might. <laughs> or seven. Yeah. Oh, God. Or whatever else. There's, yeah, there's there's a lot of other things in your life, and you have to account for those when planning your Kickstarter. Yeah. You can't just pretend you can dedicate all your time to it, because, like, as nice as that would be, you, you can't usually. Yeah, I know there are, there are a lot of people who are like, man, I want I want the Kickstarter to pay myself for designing the game, and like, you, I, I'm going to tell people you absolutely should include payment for yourself, mm-hmm. yep. even even if it's not quite enough, you need to include payment for yourself in your Kickstarter goal, even if it makes the goal higher and scarier, you have to do it, um, but y- it, you shouldn't, you shouldn't give that as an excuse to like I'm not going to do the work until I've paid myself because it's it's just setting you up for a lot of pitfalls that a lot of kickstarters yeah. have fallen into mm-hmm. that you you don't need it li- it's literally been paying my rent for the past like two and a half years off of kickstarters that's been a lot of my money <laughs> yeah you, you gotta pay yourself you're, you're you gotta this do it so you can make it like that's that's an important part mm-hmm so does anyone have any other practical advice for the practical advice portion of the show? 
Well, we we touched on social goals. Um, I want to talk about social goals versus stretch goals. Okay. Um, I am a person who does not believe in stretch goals. Um, I don't think they add enough value to any project to convince somebody to back. Mm-hmm. Um, usually the thing they do is weigh your project down in unnecessary expenses. And those expenses can be monetary, uh, doing things like adding uh, custom pins and dice that you will need to ship out or God forbid, printing up t-shirts that you need to send out. Right. Um, never do t-shirts. I, I thought I was in the game design business, but suddenly I'm a, uh, a bumper sticker entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like everything that you add to the project that is a physical thing is just something that is unnecessary expense and an unnecessary headache when it comes to shipping. It's now, one if you more go with a fulfillment company, it might be less. Yeah, exactly. You you don't need that heat. No. <laughs> I'm I'm becoming that person as I run more Kickstarters that are like stretch goals. Like I want the more money, but geez, that's a lot of extra work. Like Fellowship, I think is the only Kickstarter where I felt good about my stretch goals. After I mean, the the, the the logic of it is that that much more money will allow you to do that much more work. It's you paying yourself yeah. and your artists, etc., for extra bits. Here's the secret, though, Grant. Yeah? You're getting that money anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part of the reason fellowships worked is that they were things yeah. I wanted to write anyway. That's a lot of it. Um, yeah. It just gave me the extra money to do it. And that, that, that's true. Like, you can put up as your Kickstarter a version of your game that is slightly smaller than the scope of what you think it should be. And you can set that full version as uh, a stretch goal. But I am telling you, as an experienced person in the industry, not somebody who's just run Kickstarters, but somebody who is around a lot of Kickstarter projects mm-hmm. and has watched a lot of projects go up, I do not think stretch goals add any tangible benefit to your project. Uh, We talked about 7C. uh, The highest number for a role-playing game that that we have seen is a Kickstarter. They promised so much extra content through those stretch goals. Uh, I think they overpromised, And I think that huge amount of money that they took in is not going to stretch as far as it would had they not put in all those stretch goals. It never does. And I think I think they would be at that number anyway. I really, <laughs> really do. Close to or it. Or at least very close, close to, to it. Close to it, yeah. Close to it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe that like there there is a percentage of your audience that is motivated by extra content. You might be able to bump somebody up five or ten dollars, but it's not as many people as you think, and it's probably not worth the work that you'd be putting in. Yeah. Uh, I would instead spend all of that creative energy and create social goals because social goals do provide you with a tangible benefit. They are providing you with free advertising and it's not just free advertising that, that you don't have to pay for in money. It's free advertising that you don't pay for in labor. You are outsourcing to your audience one of the hardest and most degrading jobs <laughs> of running a Kickstarter and that's it's marketing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you for degrading yourself by by joining us. We do appreciate it. <laughs> hey, anything that I could do to be on the floor with you people. <laughs> with us people. <laughs> but yeah, m- mostly mostly by degrading, I mean social media posts. Yeah, Going yeah, yeah. on podcasts yeah. is a is an absolute joy, but uh writing copy is like pulling goddamn teeth. It's the worst. It took me so long to write something that like I know what's good about Fellowship, and I could tell you what's good about Fellowship over, like, five or ten minutes, sorting it down to, like, 200, or to 140 characters for, say, a tweet, without, like, say, without just repeating things like, oh, every game is like that, isn't it? Is really hard. Or even a (laughs) a 300-word paragraph at the top of the campaign page. Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, my, that, that's a piece of advice that's tangible for a Kickstarter. Be able to describe your game in three sentences or less. Yes, absolutely. That's something you need to do, but it's a lot. It's very hard to do. It's super, super difficult. Yeah, especially but with like, Fellowship, which is again, like I like I said way earlier. Like I wrote it with the original idea of I don't like these parts of Dungeon World. I would like to improve it. So from the get go. It's pretty similar to those high fantasy games a lot of people yeah, like to play in tabletop. It already comes off as an iteration of an iteration of an iteration. I feel like I do a bunch of cool, unique high things. High fantasy yeah. in the tabletop genre, you say? 
<laughs> I mean, all this stuff we've talked about using a Kickstarter as its own marketing, uh, it just reminds me that there is no real like press for the tabletop scene. There, there's this huge archipelago of podcasts and blogs and... Yeah, Grant, you're it! Yeah, basically... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's you two. I'm talking to the game press. <laughs> People don't even know our show exists. Like, I'm I don't yeah. say that to be self deprecating. Like, people don't know your show exists, James. Like, there's the, yeah. the scene no, nobody is so knows much we exist. Larger. I've been on goddamn television, yeah. <laughs> and nobody knows I exist. Like, I'm pretty sure Six Feet Under is like. Like, of the top five ta- most popular tabletop podcasts at number five in the gulf between us and, like, four, which I think would say be one shot, and then three and two and one is just so much. There, I think it's the Adventure Zone. Look at the iTunes <laughs> rankings. We are in the triple digits. That's how little we know Jesus of the Christ. scene out there. It's huge. Uh, I'm not sure that they're all properly sorted, whatever, but still... No. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, but I think that's a good point because us are, we are the game press. Uh, we are the press about games. Mm-hmm. Um, go contact podcasts. Like, that is the first thing that uh, I did as part of the many, many steps to running publicity for a game. Uh, I am going to people like Grant. Uh, I, I am going Hello. to other... Like a, I, I, a massive list of podcasts that I, I still need to figure out a way to centralize and distribute it to people who want to run Kickstarter projects so that they know they're out there. But it, I, even if we say no, we don't have time. Uh, like, you know, we want to Again, help there are dozens. Uh, game designers. Yeah. There are dozens and like even the small ones have like a hundred people listening. And yeah. here's the thing. If it's a hundred people or even less than a hundred people listening to a podcast, put it in terms of what difference would that number of people make to my Kickstarter? Uh, you have to think about what engagement level that audience must have uh, that they are listening to that person. They're part of 100 people who listens to that person instead of something like one shot or something like the adventure zone with, with, tens of thousands of listeners you like that the engagement must be so high so they really respect that person that they listen to every week or you know whenever the podcast publishes so it is always worth your time to seek out podcasts yeah i appreciate everyone who listens to our show yeah put a lot of work into it i know i know we all put a lot of work (laughs) into our shows (laughs) for sure for sure uh and i appreciate it i'd like to take us uh out big picture again a bit uh, and talk about how really the, the ability of people to go and discover projects without uh, a mediator of a publishing company or uh, an industry press, even if it existed, uh, has really helped blossom and flower the, the variety of games that there are to play. Because Yeah, um, absolutely. What, what, it's called 14 Days, right? The, the game about chronic pain? Yes, uh, that is Hannah Schaefer's Chronic Pain game. <laughs> Whoever thought there would be a Chronic Pain game before Kickstarter? Yeah, uh, it's wild. Who would have thought there'd be games that aren't like D20 or GURPS before Kickstarter? <laughs> oh man, I know. And uh, like, not just successful, wildly exactly. successful. Yes. Like, what was Dungeon World's Kickstarter? Like $70,000, something like that? It was crazy. Yeah, and if it had been run today, man, that number would have been even higher. (laughs) Um, Like, one of my buddies in the games industry uh, says that Monty Cook uh, in Numenera made the most successful heartbreaker uh, that ever was. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like that's really true. Like, if you look at Numenera, it's so friggin' weird that there's no way it could have existed before Kickstarter. Um, and that that's, it says a lot. It should say a lot to you, person who has an idea that they're not sure uh, people would believe in. Like, people believed in Numenera. Numenera is a great game, but it's real weird. It's real, real weird. And it's hard to explain. I'm going to run an experiment. I'm going to go to Kickstarter. I'm going to go to Explore. Uh, categories, games, 
tabletop games. I'm going to find something that I haven't seen before that is an RPG. Oh dang, there's a lot of board games and accessories. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah, category man. is mostly like board yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright, first thing that I looked at with thirty eight hours to go, the happiest apocalypse on earth. <laughs> Uh, a Lovecraft horror ta- tabletop role-playing game set in a children's theme park. Yes, the vi- the Kickstarter that video for that one is dope. incredible. I love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, imagine if the end of the world happened while you were on a roller coaster. The, yep, there is now a mm-hmm. Disneyland uh, Lovecraft game, and it's because of Kickstarter. It would not yeah. have been published really any other way, or if it were published, it would have languished in obscurity on something like Drive Through and no one would know yeah. it exists to play it. Like, Laws Out. Like, it, that's a weird, <laughs> quirky game that I self-published on DriveThruRPG, which would also not have been possible without DriveThruRPG. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Uh, like, no one's heard of it because there wasn't a Kickstarter. Uh, it's not like I had any Twitter followers at the time or anything. And it's, like, four years old now. <laughs> there are any number of truly wonderful games that would have been heartbreakers yeah. if it weren't for the current... Uh, climate of games publishing uh, before Kickstarter um, I will boldly say that there was not a single publishing process that really worked for role-playing games mm-hmm. um, and yes there are companies that have been around yeah. for decades but those companies are using Kickstarter <laughs> and I should tell you something yeah like yeah the only one that's not is Wizards of the Coast and well they're not also publishing anything anymore <laughs> yeah they're not really <laughs> wah, wah. yeah that, I, I exhausted my notes of prepared topics. Does anyone have uh, anything they'd like to bring up? Art is the most important thing in your Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, there's a lot of good information there, um, yeah. and you know, people can always feel free to approach and ask um, if you've got questions uh, that are more specific, um, mm-hmm. and not only ask us, but ask anybody who's running Kickstarter because. Most of that community is really wide open and enthusiastic about helping new people uh, reach their dreams. Yeah. Oh, one thing we didn't touch on. This will only take a second. When you're a Kickstarter backer or a creator, when you when you make a new Kickstarter, uh, be prepared for the like 50 inbox messages from people trying to like you probably suggest like a scam service or to promote your thing but ignore those you'll get a lot of spam messages as a kickstarter creator uh a, a, a corollary to that not all of them uh, don't ignore all of them but do a lot of them read look them? like four letters do read them because one of those messages that i did brush off initially as as sta- spam nonsense did get me on television so read them but also <laughs> yes read them feel free to brush them to off ignore like <laughs> nine out of ten if it says uh if the return address is eric stone street at abc.com <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah I-, I hope this discussion was interesting to people uh whether or not you're you're ever planning to self-publish or be a kickstarter creator i'm sure it was useful to those who are but yeah, it was lovely having you on, James. So in addition to, once again, the Dungeon Dome uh, up on Kickstarter right now, and there are some earlier episodes people can check out to see what this whole thing is. What else would you like to plug? Uh, yeah, so uh, definitely head over to our YouTube page to check out the past episodes of the Dungeon Dome and imagine them being much better as uh, <laughs> we've now figured out how to do it. Um I, I, like I would start with the exhibition games that we did because I think those are really fun and good. Um, the, the first ones are good too. Just check it out. Um, but also if you like RPG podcasts and if you're listening to this one, I kind of think you do. I hope so. uh, you might want to check out uh, one shot podcast.com. That is where I do all of my stuff. And like, uh, like I said, what I do is similar to Grant. So like if there's a game that I ha- that Grant hasn't gotten to yet, I might yeah. have done it. And with way better haircuts, it has to be said. <laughs> <laughs> but Grant has done some episodes with us, and they were great. Um, so if you need a good introduction, check out the Dracula dossier episodes. Those um, are good episodes. I like those a lot. And- it's an oldie, but a goodie. Uh, but check out uh, the police cops episode that <laughs> we did with Grant. Uh, that's still yeah, yeah, one was. of my favorites. 
um man was it cool uh but yeah uh please please uh check out those podcasts i've also got a lot of other great shows on my network um uh that if you like these interview style shows i've got modifier and backstory and talking tabletop and if you just want more actual play campaign and the neo scum are great places to go and adventure Um, adventure thank you yeah adventure (laughs) man i've got so many shows now it's hard it's so hard to make plugs for them all as you can tell we here at feats uh me especially big fans of the whole one shot network as well yeah i was gonna oh, thank say you, like, it means a lot if you're a new listener to six feet under if you joined us with mouse card and or fellowship you'll definitely want to check out campaign it's very similar so good it's also extremely good <laughs> Uh, a little less crying than we're getting up to in uh, Summer of Mouse Guard. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a lot of crying in our games in the near future. But a lot more laughing. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> and that's... It's good crying, I promise. Well, no. That's, that's, that's a lie. I told you a lie just now. So, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Best of luck with uh, this campaign and all your endeavors, James. Well, thank you so much, best of luck to you two as well and uh i can't wait to come back uh in like a year hopefully you'll have time to play a game with us again that would be wonderful uh if this kickstarter project funds that's basically a guarantee uh so (laughs) listeners who like us crossing over keep that in mind huh yeah yeah i guess i should go write laws out second edition and invite james to come play it with me yes 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 do it do it there's not enough westerns out there well, the, the thing is, the main thing about Laws Out is it's like a movie game was the main thing. So I would like, Laws Out would be one of them in a subset of like four or five movie genres that you could Ooh. play out would be the idea. I'm definitely intrigued by that. All right. So uh, with all that business done, uh, good night, folks. Yeah. Good night, folks. See you next time, heroes. <laughs>